this is Matt Lippman, Executive Director of 97%. And today I'm talking about guns with Chris Marvin. Chris is a retired military officer, served in Afghanistan. You served, you flew, what is it, 40 Black Hawk uh, helicopter missions? Am I, do I have yeah, that right? Combat, yeah. Combat missions? Yeah. And then you were injured in Afghanistan. I was. I was wounded pretty badly in a helicopter crash near the Afghan-Pakistan border um, a long time ago now. Uh, you know, it, what Afghanistan ended up being a 20-year war, so very, very early in the war relative to the, the length of it. But um, I broke um, my foot and both of my legs and my arm and shattered the bones in my face and did damage to my knees, my hips, my shoulders, basically my whole body. Um, but it's been a long time recovering and doing pretty well now. Wow. So today we're interviewing, I'm going to start again, Chris. It's Matt Lippman with 97% interviewing the $6 million man, Chris Morphin. Does that make more sense? So thank you for doing this. And and so after you recovered, which I probably took years, I could imagine, right? Four years. It was a four, four years. It was a recovery, yeah. uh, 10 major surgeries and all the requisite therapy and um, recovery that goes along with that. Wow. And then you um, came back to the States yeah, I did the majority of my recovery uh, in Hawaii, actually. Okay. Uh, I was stationed there with the 25th Inf Infantry Division. So I did actually have surgeries in Afghanistan and in Germany and in Hawaii. But uh, the, the most of my convalescence was was in Hawaii. Okay. And now you're living in Hawaii. You've started your own consulting firm, right, from Hawaii. That's correct. And, uh, and you're very, very engaged in the gun issue, which is why we wanted to talk to you today. For example... You wrote an op-ed for MSNBC about uh, veterans and gun safety, and you're very involved in getting veterans involved in gun safety. Um, what's your opinion on, to me, the most influential people on the gun issue who could speak to all Americans would be veterans. How do you feel about veterans getting involved? Are, they, are veterans like yourself getting involved enough? Are there more opportunities we should be getting involved in? What's your take on it? Well, I, I think we'll start with saying that, you know, we live in this society where a lot of our um, previously trusted institutions have, uh, you know, the American people have lost faith in many of them. I, you know, I, you know, Congress being a, a fine example, we'll say. Um, but, you know, depending on who you are, you know, you may have lost faith, lost, lost faith in science or law enforcement um, or uh, clergy. Right. There's many things that have occurred in our in our society that have caused that to happen. Um, we've find when we look at the numbers that veterans and the military population are still um, pretty highly trusted by most Americans, right? Right. And, and so when we come to the conversation about uh, guns and, and gun safety, you know, veterans not only have this sort of this, this trust and respect that they get from the American people by virtue of having served in uniform, but, but also they know a lot about firearms, right? And so we're, we're coming from a, a place uh, where we've, we've been trained by your taxpayer dollars, right, to, to know more more about these firearms than the average American. Um, and so when we want to talk about safety, which is a, you know, a, a, a key pillar of the military gun culture, um, we can we can uh, translate what we learned in the military to how, you know, we might like to see gun safety laws and, and behavior around firearms in, in our civilian culture. Is that where where would you say the sweet spot is here? Veterans getting involved in encouraging people to perhaps lock up their guns? Is that the sweet spot? To make sure I mean, that your guns aren't stolen, that kind of thing? Because, for example, Chris, 
How many times did you leave your gun somewhere and not know where it was when you were in the military? In the military? Yeah. Um, precisely zero times ever. Right. <laughs> and then that you is, read uh, like, you read yeah, now okay. about people who, for example, they'll leave their guns in their car and then they leave their car and then the gun's stolen out of the car. And those guns are inevitably used in crimes. Right. What would have happened to you in the military if you left your gun, somebody found out that you left your gun somewhere? Uh, you know, I never wanted, never wanted to find <laughs> out. Um, look, I mean, I think the, the military embraces, you know, three primary principles when it comes to the way they uh, deal with firearms. And that is training, safety, and accountability. And all three of those things are mandatory. So here we're talking about the accountability piece, right? Everybody is accountable for the firearm, uh, you know, the weapon, we call it in the military, the weapon and everything that happens with it. When I say everybody, I mean, I'm accountable for my own weapon. But there's also an accountability placed on, you know, the leader above me uh, and the leader above him or her and et cetera, all the way up the chain of command to, you know, the general who might be leading the division. Um, and But also within my unit, you know, I have an armor and an, who runs the arms room. And 99.9% of the time, that's where that firearm lives, is in the arms room, right? If you think that you can walk onto a military base today and see a whole bunch of people parading around, you know, with, uh, with M4s or, you know, other, other weapons in their hands, uh, you're insane. The, the only people that carry guns on a daily basis in the military uh, are, are MPs, military police. Uh, even infantry who have an intimate relationship with their, with their rifles um, are only pulling them out of the arms room for specific training opportunities, right? So they are, they are keeping their guns securely stored at all times. And that's an that's a, a important tenet of military gun culture. So, well, let's say then, Chris, you're serving in Afghanistan. You are at your base. You're not out. You're not leaving the base at that moment. Your base is not under attack. At that time that you're at the base, you're not holding on. Your gun is not on you. No, no. So clarify. So what I was describing would have been garrison, right? If you go to a military base, you go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina today. That's what I would describe. Now, in combat, you're going to have yeah. a gun with you all the time. Okay. Even when I was stationed on Kandahar and I was what we call behind the wire, I would have, uh, for me as a helicopter pilot, I would have my M9, which is a pistol, on me at all times. So I would I would have it with me when I was awake, when I was asleep, et cetera, et cetera. I'm always responsible for that. I always know where that is. My M4 would actually be uh, in an arms locker uh, on the flight line, and I would take that when I left in the helicopter. That that's when I would uh, I would grab that. So so in combat, it's a little bit different. But you know, nobody, no civilian gun owner is trying to compare the the world that they live in here in the right. United States combat. Right? It's it's much more comparable to what we call the garrison situation or that that you know domestic uh, military post or military base. Although I would say now some people are comparing it to combat. Um, on a yeah, daily well, basis, right? There's, well, there's, there's a lot of guns out there, right? And so, um, in terms of veterans getting more involved, how do we do that, Chris? You're doing it. How do you? How do you do it? I've, I've been really lucky as a consultant um, to be working with Every Town for Gun Safety, right? The, the country's largest gun violence prevention organization, and um, my, my job for them is to build, <clears throat> excuse me, build a veteran engagement strategy. And we've been doing that for a few years. And what we've done is one of the things we've done is put together this great veteran advisory council. Um, and we have we have uh, 30 veterans on that council. They come from diverse backgrounds all over the country. More than half of them are gun owners. All of them have great experience with firearms in the military. Um, and they bring that voice, uh, that that trusted veteran voice uh, to the conversation uh, about guns and gun violence prevention. And I think it's it's one of those things that works really well because 
a veteran voice tends to be politically moderating right. today, right? And so whether you're a gun owner or not, not a gun owner, whether you're um, a Republican or a Democrat or anything in between, um, you know, a, a veteran can come and say, like, we just want to talk about issues that we all agree on, right? 95% of Americans support the idea that we, we should have background checks on all gun sales, mostly because we don't want dangerous people to get guns, right? right? Um, as long as you can, as long as you can pass a background check yourself, you're not a felon or, you know, uh, or have, you know, some other criminal history, then you should probably be su supportive of background checks because you don't want the guy who lives next door to you, who is a dangerous person to be able to easily access a gun, right? Same with ghost guns, same concept, no background right. checks involved. We all agree with that. We all want suicide prevention. So veterans, um, obviously have a lot to say about suicide prevention and the suicide in our ranks, uh, especially by gun is worse. Uh, than, than, you know, the national average. And so, so the national average, just to be clear, Chris, the national numbers are extremely high on suicides with a gun. And the veteran gun suicide level, you're saying also is very high. Yeah, like just to, to throw a couple numbers at you, real simple numbers. So when we look at the gun violence problem in this country, two thirds are suicides, right? right? Two thirds of all gun deaths in this country are suicides. Now, right. when you look at suicides, and you think, well, how many suicides are guns versus other things? It's in the civilian population, it's 50-50, right, roughly. About half of all suicides are guns and half are everything else, every other lethal means. In this veteran population, that 50% jumps to 70%. So seven out of 10 veteran suicides are by gun. So if you're not talking about guns when you're talking about veteran suicide, you're only talking about 30% of the issue, right? Um, now, throw on top of that, that, that guns are, you know, 90 to 95% effective, if that's the right word, lethal. It, no, it's, it's right. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Yep. And, and and all other means combined are about four or five percent. Right. So, so if you try to commit suicide, generally speaking, any other way, odds are you're not going to succeed. If you right. try with a gun, you're going to succeed. You're going to succeed. And, and crucial, right. it's crucially important then that what we're able to do is put time and space between an individual in crisis and especially a veteran in crisis and his or her gun. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, that I think that is um, a sort of a uh, a between the aisles talking point, right? This idea that we all want to see suicides and veteran suicides uh, diminish, decrease, hopefully, you know, eradicated, but we're going to do the best we can. And we start by making sure the guns don't do the job before we can get the help, people can get the help they need. So from your experience, veterans are effective at talking to the civilian population yeah. as well as to other veterans. I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there is a there is sort of an implicit bias, a positive implicit bias that civilians have towards veterans, right? They they are respected for their service. When it comes to uh, veterans talking to veterans, there's is a whole different um, paradigm. I, I think it's like a common bond, right? A, we've all served, we've all shared, been part of something bigger than ourselves, um, and and there's uh, an earned trust there between veterans. So I do think the veterans, it's different talking points, quite frankly. It really truly is different talking points, but I think that uh, veterans can be effective to both audiences. Uh, let, let me just change the subject a bit. Um, the You wrote an op-ed, you've written a couple, but you wrote one in uh, um, the New York Observer a few years ago about the Pulse shooting, right? And you said, America, why have you not hardened against the violence? Well, now it's 2022. Where do you see, do you see any changes? Yeah, that was a long time ago. You know, it's funny. I'll just a quick background on that op-ed. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't quite poetry, but it wasn't really prosaic either. It was really short, quick sentences, and it and it displayed sort of the emotion I felt. For you know, everybody has a moment, a point, and it's you know, with guns, a lot of times it's a mass shooting, 
right? Which is which is a little bit ironic because mass shootings are only like 0.4% of the gun deaths in America. Our gun problem is much bigger than that, but that is the headlines and, and it mobilizes us, right? Yeah. So whether it's whether it's Sandy Hook um, or Parkland, it's exactly um, you yeah. know, or, or you know, and I, I'm not even going to go and name all the rest, but there's dozens and dozens. And yeah. I've had a couple, I've had a couple for me that were just were like, you know, sort of facepalm, right? Like you just be like, how, how can we still do this? Right. And, and, and when are we going to turn the corner? If it's Sandy Hook, right? If we couldn't, if America couldn't turn the corner on finding a way to keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people, yeah. when a whole bunch of kindergartners got killed, yeah. when are we going to do right. it? Right. right. Like, and so, but for me, for whatever reason, I, I, I'd written a bunch of op-eds maybe, you know, after different shootings and with the pulse one, I said, I'm going to try a different, different angle. Um, and just kind of like, you know, share my soul a little bit more. So it wasn't an, analy- an analytical op-ed that I might normally publish. It was, it was much more emotional. Um, have we changed? Um, I think we've hardened. I think there are people in this country who have hardened against gun violence, but they've been equally met with people who have hardened towards gun violence. And those people don't realize perhaps that they've hardened towards gun violence. What they think is they've hardened towards guns and freedom and their rights and the second amendment. And those things are all also true. But what we learn in the military and what we share is that guns are made to take human life. That's their purpose. Now, if you own them and use them smartly and safely, then you, the, the likelihood of taking human life is not, is not high. Right. Um, but if you're irresponsible with them and if there aren't laws that, that make sure that you and the people around you, your neighbors, you know, unknown people in your community, that they're safe um, in, in, well, that they're able to access guns when they have them, they, they store them securely um, and they use them safely, then you're going to see human lives taken. And you're going to see human lives taken through suicide. You're going to see human lives taken through um, you know, unintentional shootings when guns aren't properly secure. So if a child finds a gun, um, or and and kills themselves or someone else with it, um, and you know domestic violence, right? Um, when, when we're putting guns in the hands of people who are um, d- domestic viol- violators, yep. I think that you know that doesn't even have to be a shooting. We have so much domestic violence that occurs here where the gun is just uh, sitting on the coffee table, yeah, right. And and the man in this case potentially the man could be using his fist to hurt a woman, um, his partner perhaps, and that's not always seen as gun violence, but I believe it is, right? Yeah. If that gun's on the coffee table, that's a threat. Yeah. Um, and so guns are used in so many different ways to 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 cause violence. Um, they don't have to be. You can be a gun owner that's also anti-violence, and that's sort of what we're looking for, right? Yeah. We're finding these veterans who know the guns are used to take human lives and who um, are gun owners themselves um, and who know that uh, we need to talk about some of the basics to make sure that our Civilian gun culture looks a lot more like the military gun culture, where um, where those types of uh, you know those types of incidents are not tolerated. Right. There's a Second Amendment right to have a gun. How do we keep people safer given that right to have a gun? That's the question. Yeah, and look, I mean, it was it was Justice Scalia who made it very clear in the Heller decision that there are limitations on that right. Just like there's limitations on every right. You have a right to drive a car, but only so fast, right? Yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about the country getting hardened on guns, yeah, I think about the number of people who die every day now from COVID. And we barely even acknowledge that all these people are dying every day of COVID. I think in this country, we're accepting a certain amount of death that we do not need to accept. That's right. Um, You know, I, you know, 
I, I life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And and life is first there. And I think that right. you know we have this very interesting conversation. I'm not even going to go into details on it, but we have this interesting conversation in this country um, about pro life, pro choice, and things like that. And yeah. you know, outside of the realm of abortion, which is where it's typically talked about, like if you call yourself pro life, you need to be a responsible gun owner, right? Period. Right. If you own a gun, and it is not every gun you own is not securely stored separate from ammunition. You are not pro-life, right. period, because right. that gun was built to take life, and you have now created a scenario by which it can do so easily. Look, that might even include someone coming into your home and then you using the gun in self-defense. Now, this is, a, this is a little more controversial opinion, but this is my opinion. And I don't think enough people think about this when they own a gun. If you kill someone who comes into your home, you might feel justified in it. But are you going to be morally comfortable with it? Right. You're a religious person. Are you going to be morally? You still took a human life, and you right. know that every human life is valuable. Right. So, for me, I did put myself in a place morally uh, and ethically to theoretically take human life in combat before I went. I knew that I was ready to do that. Right. I went to combat. Uh, I came home. I'm out of the military now. I no longer occupy that moral space for myself. Um, which is the reason that I don't have a gun by my bedside loaded and ready to shoot an intruder. Right. I'll, I'll right. use a Louisville slugger for that. And people say, oh, the Louisville slugger is not going to work. I'm like, it, it, I'm not trying to kill somebody. Right. The people say, oh, the Louisville slugger could still kill somebody. I go, yeah, but with a lot less effectiveness than the gun. Back to our suicide stats, right? right. 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 Of course. At the end right. of the day, my point is I want to protect my family. Yeah. I really hope. I never in my life from here on out have to take take another human life by any means. And I do the things to, uh, uh, you, you know, to make sure that that's true. And I think if you consider yourself a pro-life individual, you need to think about your guns in that context. Chris, um, thank you. I have two quick questions for you. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, first, thanks. And the work you're doing with veterans is necessary. And uh, I hope that there's even more of it because it's true that that is the most credible group uh, with civilian, with the civilian population in the United States. Um, just quickly, uh, you, t you did, uh, um, got your six campaign that was with the entertainment industry. Is that correct? That's right. That right. Yeah. We're working on the way that veterans are portrayed in film and television as a way to change the way that they're perceived in society, working on veteran empowerment. Okay. Were they, are they perceived well in movies? I don't know the answer to this one. Yeah, I, I think we started the campaign because we were concerned that um, the, the 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 narrative around veterans was that of broken heroes, right? Gotcha. They're, 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 they're lauded, but they're also, oh, they all have, they're all broken, have PTSD. Right. And so we wanted to make sure that people saw veterans as leaders and civic assets. And we think more people do these days. I want you to name five actors that are veterans, if you can. Oh, I've man. got a list. I've got a good list, but I want you to name five, if you can. Oh, well, Adam Driver is a veteran. That's good. Um, I'm trying to think of the young folks first. Um, it's it's hard, honestly. I know a lot of the people we worked with weren't weren't veterans, um, and then there's a bunch of older folks. Yeah, I don't, think I, true. I don't think I can name five off the top of my head. Why don't Why don't you tell me what your list? I'm going to give you a couple of good ones. Hugh Hefner. I did not. I actually didn't know that. That one I didn't Tom know. Tom Selleck. That I did know, yeah. And he played a veteran and as Magnum P.I. as well. That's right. A lot of times we're uh, more concerned with who played veterans and who were, or were veterans. Right. Ice-T. Yes. And then Good I one. told you I was going to con conclude here, MC Hammer. MC <laughs> Hammer. That's right. Uh, Montel. Montel is a veteran. Right. 
That's right, yeah. Montel, Montel yeah. Williams. Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's, he's, um, when we finish this, you were tagged by Justin McFarland to appear here. Who would you like to tag? Don't tag MC Hammer because we're not in touch with him. But who would you like to tag as a future guest that you think I should talk to? Isn't the first thing I'm supposed to do when you say don't tag MC Hammer is tag <laughs> MC Hammer? I mean, come on. Um, but let's, uh, you know, who I'd actually like you to talk to. We'll stick, we'll stick with a couple, a couple themes we've talked about today. Number one, veterans. Number two, suicide prevention. And number three, the entertainment industry. So I have a good friend. His name is Kyle Hausman Stokes. Um, he's a filmmaker, uh, lives in LA. Um, and he actually started a, a, a nonprofit called Veterans in Film and Television, which I believe is now called Veterans in Media and Entertainment. And it is, it represents all the veterans who work in the industry now. Um, but most importantly, he made a, a video that went really viral after Parkland um, using veteran voices to talk about, um, in, in that case, it was, you know, gun violence prevention, assault weapons, et cetera, um, and, and had millions, I think, 40, 50 million views, something like that, um, in just a couple days or weeks. So um, he's still working on stuff related That's to That's a great one. And That's a great one. Yeah, yeah, I want to talk to him. We've had yeah. Fred Gutenberg on, who's a parent whose daughter was uh, shot in the back, which yeah, was my Parkland. steps at Parkland's terrible story. But definitely, we will definitely have Kyle on. Thank you, Chris. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks, uh, man. Talk soon. Thanks for doing this. All right. Take care.